Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's happening in our community in this episode. This week, Reverend Dr. Bryce Ashland Mayo continues our series, While We Wait. And Bryce is a friend of Southview. He's spoken uh, here a number of times, and he served as a pastor in the Alliance for 25 years, but he's currently the Dean of Theology and Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology at Ambrose University. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us, here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant. Because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, greetings, Selfie. It is so great to be with you. And before we kind of jump into the message, I just want to give a shout out to Sydney, who did a great job this evening. This was kind of her first time doing this. Fantastic. I'm super proud. She's one of our students at Ambrose, and uh, it's great to see her up here doing her thing and serving the church. It's fantastic. Well, uh, Sophie, it's great to be with you. For those that don't know me, my name is Bryce, and uh, I've been here a number of times, and it's great to be back. For those that don't know my kind of personal story, I'm married to Lori. We've been married for almost 30 years now, believe it or not. I was almost in high school and got married, just a little past there when I was 19. Believe it or not, I was married, and uh, we have three kids, all three of which are adults, two of which live on their own, and Lucas still lives with us. Um, I'm here for this week and next. At some point, you might see him around here, uh, but Lucas has Down syndrome, and I've told stories about Lucas before. Um, there's lots of stories to tell about Lucas. One of my favorite stories for Lucas is one of Lucas's things is he loves to be in the moment. But we talk in society all the time about how, like, we just want to live in the moment, right? Like, why don't we just all have more kind of this presence of the moment with us where we are, live in the moment, in the present. And yet I will tell you that to its extreme, which we experience regularly in the house, is also not a good thing. Because Lucas gets stuck in the moment. Like, he can't get out of the moment, and it has caused tons of anguish in our time schedules, trying to get out of the house, off to an event, where he is stuck doing his thing, and he doesn't care about what's in the future. He wouldn't care if the house is on fire, the YouTube video is not done, and life cannot go on until that moment is over. Getting stuck in your moment, and as a result, it has created great opportunities for myself, my wife, our kids, our, our family, to experience and embrace patience. I don't know how many of you are in here are like me, but waiting is hard. Amen? Like, it's hard. In fact, one of the challenging things I, I kind of term is that we live in the society in a paradox of waiting. We embrace the virtue of patience, right? We love this idea of we should be patient. You want to be patient with your kids, patient with your coworkers. You want to be patient with the people you love, etc. And yet our whole world is, in our Insta world, is all about reducing weight so we don't have to be patient. 
Think about this. The amount of times you've been, as I have, in an airport and my flight is delayed, I get so frustrated with fill-in-the-blank airline company, right? Why in the world can they not figure this out? And yet I can forget that I'm going to get on a large tube. We're going to go 40,000 feet in the air, and I'm going to travel in four hours what would have taken, like, somebody's entire, like, two years with their family, leaving with one group of people, some people perishing along the way, babies being born, and ending up in the place I will be later, four hours on an airplane. They would have been there with a different group of people, and I'm complaining that my flight is two or three hours delayed right? This is the sense of waiting or when we're in a grocery store and we have to sit and wait at the checkout line, right? The person in front of us, you're in the, in the express line. And if you're like me, you're counting the amount of things because it says 12 and there's 15 and there's no, grow, no grace at Safeway, Sobeys or Superstore, right? Grace ends at the door. You need to have the exact amount of things or less in that line, right? The sense of like anxiety. And yet at the same time, if you were to go back a generation, somebody would have had to plant that seed, wait an entire year, hope there wasn't hail or some other catastrophe. We have to get that produce or whatever and then be able to have it for the next year and hopefully it lasts. Our sense of like, we just want to reduce weight and we see this as a, as a problem. All of these things is part of the challenge in our paradox of waiting in our society where patience is not a virtue in our high-tech society, is it? Thus, waiting for the basics is hard. But I want to also look this evening particularly at how waiting for life's big challenges or problems or difficulties can be even harder. So what about those areas, Sophie? Those areas where maybe we've been at waiting for God to act. For the prodigals in your life, maybe that's a, kid, a, a child, a, a sibling, a, a, a relative, or a loved one. Maybe it's for fruit in a ministry you have been serving for so long, and yet you're wondering if God is ever going to break in or do something. Or maybe it's between for your church, between where it was and where it will be and what might happen and what like leadership will look like into the future. Maybe it's for a provision of a job that you've been praying for, relentlessly for, for provision, for whatever the case might be, for maybe a future spouse or for physical healing and God has chosen for whatever reason not to heal, for that miracle that you have been calling relentlessly on your knees over and over again, calling out to God and he doesn't seem to answer. What do you do when you're faced with the weariness of waiting for a God who we know can act in an instant? And yet for whatever reason in his infinite wisdom that seems so bizarre to us in the time has decided to wait. What do you do? How do you deal with the weariness, the weight, the difficulty, the disillusionment, the discouragement of waiting for what will be in the midst of what is? Well, I want us to look this evening at a story in Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 19 of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet who experiences God's unmistakable power and then experiences the weariness of waiting. And to do this, I need to give you some context. So here's my professor hat on for just a moment. This is a great phrase. Whenever you're looking at Scripture, studying Scripture, hearing somebody speak on Scripture, to know that um, uh, uh, kind of preaching without 
content, like preaching without context is kind of like, uh, not, um, what's, what's the phrase? Uh, <laughs> preaching without, uh, preaching without context is just a, is, is preaching without context is just a con. This idea that, that somehow you need to understand the text in its fullness to understand what God might be saying in the midst of it. And so I want to give you the context to this, the backstory to this, because First Kings chapter 19 doesn't happen in a vacuum, and you need to know the basics and the background of the story, because it takes place with this prophet Elijah. We hear about him in First Kings chapter 17. He's a, a Tishbite. He's a prophet of Gilead. He's most likely is called a settler, so we can probably assume he's an immigrant who is a non-Israelite whom God calls and uses to speak truth to power. He is called to confront King Ahab and Queen Jezebel over their worship of Baal. Now, Baal was this worship, this God that the Israelites with Ahab and Jezebel leading the case or leading the charge, they were worshiping this God of Baal. Now, Baal was the God of rain. He was seen as the God of prosperity, the rider of the clouds, if you will, oftentimes made in the image of a bull, the sense that he was the God that they were worshiping. And Elijah is told as this immigrant to go to King Ahab and say this, Chapter 17, verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few words, or sorry, next few years, except by my word. Elijah then gets, then goes into hiding. He goes to the brook at Kareth. There's a whole story around this, which is outside of Ahab's territory. He goes there for a while, and, and this prophesied drought that he prophesies to come because of the, their worshiping of Baal and God wanting to call them back. And, and now Elijah's on the run, and he's by this, this, this creek and this, in, 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 in Kareth outside of Ahab's uh, territory. The drought happens. The, the, the brook dries up. And then God directs Elijah to Zarephath in the heart of Ahab's territory where the drought is wreaking havoc. Now note that God calls Elijah not outside of trouble in the midst of everything that's happening, but he calls Elijah into the middle of the challenge and provides not a way around it, but a way in the midst of it in the midst of Ahab's territory, in the midst, in the heart of all of the challenge and the drought, God calls him in the middle of the challenge and provides for him through this. And, and God provides to Elijah through a widow miraculously by creating uh, more flour and water that's natural. And through a course of events, the widow he's staying with, God brings the widow's son back to life. God protects, God provides, and God uses Elijah in amazing ways in this season. And then months and years go by. The drought wreaks havoc all throughout the land, and God calls Elijah to return to King Ahab. Imagine now the desperation in the king. The devastating drought has dried up food supplies. People would have been desperate, calling out, rebelling against the king. The king, his grip on power would be dwindling. And God is now going to use Elijah to call Ahab and the Israelites back to God. And to do so, God is going to provide rain. And not just, uh, and not, and it's, the rain is not going to come through the God of Baal, but through the God of Israel. So God calls and leads 
Elijah back to them, back to the king and to Jezebel and, and all of the prophets of Baal and confront them. 450 prophets of Baal. You might know this story from Sunday school if you've been in Sunday school. Gather in Mount Carmel. And two offerings are sent, one on one set, one on one side with the 200 or 450 prophets of Baal. They set the offering there. They're, they're going to they're gonna show that the God is, God is going to come and he's going to light their, 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 their offering on fire. And they call and they yell. And Elijah, in good prophet fashion, taunts them, says, well, you maybe need to yell louder. Do it a couple more times. Come on, you're, maybe your God, is, where is your God? He's a little weak God, right? He's taunting them, and they keep shouting and crying out, and nothing happens. And then on the other side is Elijah, one prophet of Yahweh, and he does the same thing, gathers, the, gets, gets, gets some rocks, he puts some um, some uh, wood on the rocks, puts the offering on the wood, and then he calls for it to be drenched. Some water's poured on it. This is more water. More water's poured on it to the place where the scripture says the whole surrounding is completely drenched. And he calls upon God. And instantly, God comes down from heaven in fire and consumes the offering from heaven completely. This God of Baal, weak, in the midst of everything, and the God of Elijah, strong and able to, 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 to take over the, 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 the offering completely, consuming it um, throughout. Then Elijah, in a scene often admitted from the kids' ministry story, has all 450 prophets of Baal killed. I don't know how that's going to go over in kids' ministry land, but that's what the prophet Elijah does. And then he goes back, and I would imagine Elijah at this point is expecting an immediate response from Ahab and Jezebel and the entire nation of Israel turning back to God. They've just seen God show up and conquer the God of Baal, this God who's the God of, of rain. Sure, you can come down and you can bring uh, the fire and consume the offering and then bring the rain that would take care of the drought. And Elijah, in a moment, God shows up and does that. And then as the story continues, God will bring a cloud out from the distance and bring rain upon the land. And I would imagine in that moment, Elijah expected an immediate response. He expected people to turn back their hearts to God. And although there was a sense of that initially, it didn't happen in any sort of large scale. Instead, Jezebel orders Elijah to be put to death after this. With all that as the backdrop, with Elijah is now off and hiding again in fear of his life and is asking and has been asked now to wait. Wait for what God might do next. So before we look at this story in the midst of the waiting that we will discover, I want you to remember the context. Remember all that God has done and all that Elijah has experienced. Elijah has seen God um, bring a multi-year drought. God, Elijah has seen God miraculously provide food from ravens at one point, from uh, a, a widow and some oil and, 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 some, uh, 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 and some flour at another point. Elijah has seen God raise a widow's son from the dead. Elijah has seen God come from fire from heaven and consumed a completely drenched offering. And God has, or Elijah has seen God provide rain miraculously in a land that was filled with drought. Elijah has been obedient, he has been courageous, and he has been confident in God. 
I want to repeat that because this is really important as we discover the story and the season of waiting that Elijah's going to go through this. He's not going through it at a time where he has not seen God work. He's not going to go through it because of disobedience. And he's not going to go through it in some way because he's not confident enough in God. Elijah has been obedient. He has been courageous. And he has been confident. And yet, it has not produced the results that Elijah expected in the time frame that Elijah had thought God would act. After everything Elijah saw and experienced, things didn't turn out the way Elijah expected, and he is forced to wait. I want you to hear this in the middle of whatever waiting that you are going through in your life. Waiting often comes on the heels of the amazing. Not because you have been disobedient, not because somehow you've done something wrong. Sometimes waiting happens on the heels of the amazing. So now I want us to look at the portion of Scripture that we're going to focus on, 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want us to first look at what does it mean to understand this weariness of waiting. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me, 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at the first four verses initially, and then we'll walk through the text together. But here's 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. There's a lot to tell. And now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. This is a tree with a, a large canopy, lots of shade. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now again, remember, Elijah has been obedient and courageous. His obedience has placed him in threat of his life. And he is exhausted, and he is afraid. And it's in this moment um, that he runs a day's journey away and sits under a broom tree and calls out to God to take his life. I don't know if you've ever experienced this level of desperation, this level of weariness in your waiting, but you've probably experienced this to some degree. You've done everything right. You've seen God do amazing things. And yet... It has taken its toll, and the results are not what you've expected. It is often in these very moments when we are at our most vulnerable and feel abandoned by God. Anyone ever experienced that? You've done all the right things, prayed all the right prayers, been obedient to how God has been leading you, and yet God has chosen not to answer. You've gone forward in all the right uh, circumstances for healing. You've prayed all the prayers for God to provide the job. Been praying for uh, years, decades even, for a lost son or daughter to come home. And God doesn't seem to be answering your prayer in the way that you thought God would. The biggest challenge for Elijah might actually not be the famine or the drought or the prophets of Baal or Queen Jezebel, who's chasing him down, but the waiting he's experiencing on the heels of the amazing. 
the waiting in the midst of unanswered prayer of the people to come back to God, his mission that he wants the nation to return to Jesus or return to God, and nobody is turning their hearts to him. So I want you to take a moment and sit under the broom tree with Elijah. Because I think you're probably feeling many of us in this room like Elijah is, asking, where is God? Again, I've done everything right. I've even experienced blessings along the way, and yet it doesn't seem to be working. God seems distant. Life seems to be falling apart. Can you sense in your own life the disappointment, the disillusionment, the discouragement? You are not alone. This is Elijah's experience. This is a bit of our human experience in the world in which we live. Maybe this story is familiar to you in the weariness of your waiting. I know in my own life, I have tons of experiences of waiting for God to show up, and God chooses regularly to not answer my prayers the way I want or in the time frame that uh, I think he should. It turns out that God knows more than I do, but um, I think he should sometimes answer the things the way I want him to. And I have a whole journal, and I'm an educator, so I buy my supplies at the dollar store, and I have this journal that I use. It's, you can buy it for $4 at the dollar store. It's like 11 by, or eight and a half by 11 sheet. It's a sketchbook, and I write in like multi-different colors for multi-different themes, but I largely write in moments of waiting. I don't normally write when things are going great. In those moments, for whatever reason, I don't have to write in journal. But it's those moments of waiting, my broom tree, if you will, that my journal is filled with my heart crying out to God of where are you? Why aren't you answering my prayers? This makes total sense that you would do this. Why aren't you bringing healing? Why aren't you um, working in this loved one's life the way I would want and desire you to? So they could come back to you and pouring my heart out to God. And many of you have or are experiencing that weariness that comes from waiting for God in the midst of unanswered prayers or ways that God isn't working. And I want us to continue in this story because it provides hope and purpose for us in the middle of our weariness in our waiting. So let's continue again and discover God's gentleness to us in the weariness of our of our waiting. First Corinthians, or sorry, First Kings chapter 19, continuing in verse 5. Friends, this is the word of the Lord again. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. I'm sure that was delicious. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went, to the, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. You see in Elijah's disappointment, his fear, his weariness, his disappointment, his disillusionment, how God responds. God doesn't send an angel of condemnation. God doesn't have one of those, by the way but doesn't send an angel to condemn 
um, him of why are you so upset? Why are you so, uh, you know, up, like, uh, um, up, uh, up, kind of why are you waiting in such a disillusionment, discouragement? No, God sends an angel of mercy. Arise, eat, sleep. Some of the greatest commandments of God in our lives. Arise, eat, and sleep. And I just imagine for myself, if I was in that situation, the like cake would have been a nice glazed donut, like a Krispy Kreme donut. Like, it's coming back to Calgary. I can feel it in my bones. And I'm so excited for that moment, right? The sense of God saying, arise, eat, drink. This sense of not, of why are you complaining, Elijah? Why are, why are you so upset? Instead, here, eat. The kindness of God is overwhelming. And Elijah's weariness of doing right in the weariness of obedience in the face of opposition, God compassionately meets Elijah where he is at with grace and kindness. Now get this, God meets us in our waiting. And waiting is not a sign of God's judgment, but folks, it's an invitation into his presence. So if you are weary, maybe you need to hear the truth that God calls you to just sleep and rest. Because believe it or not, God does his best work when we're sleeping. When we wait, when we're still, when we're cease striving, because then we know that he is God. As the psalmist says in Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, be still. Another way to translate that from the Hebrew is cease striving. Cease striving, cease trying to control, cease striving to do all the right things. Cease striving, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. So if you are in a season of waiting, may you know the goodness, the compassion, and the grace of God. May you know that he does his best work while you sleep and rest, and you can trust him to be faithful. And even if you have been weary in your waiting, you can know that God, in his kindness and his goodness, wants to meet you. It's an invitation into his presence. Because sometimes we need to recognize that in that moment, God is inviting us not for the provision, but to experience the provider. He's inviting us not necessarily to experience the miracle at that point, but to experience the Messiah. To not say no who, just what God can do for you, but who he is as he meets us in the midst of our waiting, as we call out to him. So if you've been weary in your waiting, I want to encourage you to do three things according to Scripture. One, keep on doing good. It says this explicitly in Galatians, but keep on doing good. Second, keep serving. Even if you're not seeing the results the way you would want, keep serving and keep following after Jesus as much as you can, and then keep praying. Keep paying for the provision, the prodigal, the miracle, but don't lose track of God just wanting to meet you and give you his presence in the midst of your waiting as a gift in that moment. And then the scripture continues here in the most powerful way, that oftentimes the most quoted portion of this portion of scripture, but I hope you see it in context because it describes to us the truth of what does it mean in the midst of our waiting, of how God actually wants to meet us. Continuing in verse 11, God's presence in the weariness of our waiting. First Kings chapter 19, and again, verse 11 says this, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. 
And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountains and broke it in pieces and the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his faith in his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have come, sorry, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint uh, Hazel to be king over uh, Syria. And Jehu, the son of uh, Nimshi, who, you, who shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of uh, Shephath and Abim, uh, uh, Abimelech, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall, uh, shall Zehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Zehu shall Elisha put to death. And I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that, you have not, not, that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, Selfie, this reminds us that waiting is not wasted time. Waiting is not passive. God uses waiting to teach us, as he does Elijah, transformative lessons of trust, of patience, and of dependence. As the scriptures tell us, those who wait shall be renewed. God uses waiting to tune out the noise of the world, the fears in our hearts, our expectations with agendas, and meets us in the still, small voice. God uses waiting to attune us to his presence of who he is while we wait for his actions, what he does. Now, God is not saying that he doesn't speak with wind or with earthquakes or with fire. In fact, God speaks to Elijah through most of those things in the previous chapters. But God's saying that he also speaks in the still small voice. You ever thought about that? That God speaks in the whisper to Elijah? Because for many of us in the midst of our waiting, this is actually some of the best news you could have today. And God whispers not because he's not trying to be heard, but God whispers because he's close. He whispers because he's close to us in our waiting. It's an invitation into his presence. As we wait in the unanswered prayers, we wait for that unanswered uh, moment of provision. As we wait for the prodigal to come home, God meets us and he whispers because he is so close. And I would just say this, Sophie, if you were here and you were waiting on God, waiting on God to answer your prayer, waiting on God to show up in your life in a powerful way, may you know the God who wants to be close and whisper to you that he is with you. Whisper to you that he will answer your prayer in his time and in his way and for you to trust in him. How might God be using your waiting waiting for your unanswered prayer, waiting for your breakthrough, provision, prodigals, God's direction. Could God be actively using the waiting to build trust, dependence, intimacy, and hope? Because our waiting with God is never wasted time. So if you, God wants to meet you in your waiting. God wants to meet us in our waiting. 
God wants to meet self you as a church in your waiting. As you wait for the future, whatever the, the future may hold with a new leader, this is not wasted time. God wants to meet you even as you're praying and waiting for him to answer your prayers. Would you know that God, this is a moment of God's presence in a unique way and he wants to whisper as he's calling you and leading you? Jesus wants to meet us today, meet you today. And not in a word of condemnation, but in a word of invitation. As Jesus would say, come, all those who are weary and burdened and find rest. Come, eat and sleep, rest in me. Come, find rest for your weary souls. Come and experience my presence even as you wait for my action. Jesus never wastes our waiting, so don't give up. Keep serving, keep doing good, keep praying, keep sacrificing, keep loving, keep being faithful, keep giving. Jesus doesn't meet us at the end of our waiting as a, uh, a reward, but all throughout, including in our exhaustion, disillusionment, and the weary middle with his presence, compassion, and grace. Jesus doesn't waste our waiting. So today, I have no idea what your story uh, holds. I have no idea what your prayer life has been. If I were to move through your journal, as you would mine, you would see probably your hearts, whether you keep a physical journal or it's just metaphorical for you, it would just be filled with probably things that you've been calling out for. Whatever you're waiting for, may you use it as an invitation for God to meet you because he is close. For God to whisper in the still small voice as he does Elijah, because he is close to you in the midst of your waiting. And recognize that waiting is never wasted time and that God is always faithful in his time and in his way as we call out to him. So if you remember Jesus, in Jesus, your waiting is never wasted. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, many of which are waiting for you and their prayer lives are, are proof of that. Some people here have been praying for uh, decades for um, sons and daughters to come home, siblings to come home, and wondering, God, if and when you will ever move in their lives. Others of people here in this room are, are, are praying for a miracle and have been praying for you to heal them and their lives or a loved one's life or a child, a friend. And God, they're waiting and they're under a broom tree and they're waiting and they're wondering, God, if you'll ever do what you um, can do in their lives. Other people here are waiting for provision or a job, or maybe it's a spouse in their life, and they're wondering, God, if you will ever provide what they've been praying for years for. And God, I pray for all the people in this room, including myself in the midst of our waiting. May we hear your still small voice that reminds us that you're near. May we experience your kindness that gives us food and tells us that you are with us, that you will one day answer all of our prayers. You will one day make our world right. You will one day bring full and complete healing for every follower of Jesus in eternity. We just, we, we call out to you and in our waiting, we have hope in you and we are grateful for when you meet us, even in the midst of all of that for your glory. So God, we are grateful you meet us. We are grateful even at times when we don't feel like saying it, but we are grateful for the waiting because in the waiting, you are close. In your name we pray together. Amen. Well, Selfie, if you go into your week, whatever your week is going to hold, I guarantee you it'll hold some waiting. 
Maybe it's going to be some spiritual waiting. It will probably be waiting in line somewhere, doing something. May you embrace the waiting as not something to be avoided, but maybe a gift to be embraced. The waiting to which Jesus wants to meet us. The waiting which Jesus wants to meet us, not with condemnation, but with kindness and goodness and rest. And the waiting to which God is very present, where we can learn trust and dependence on him. If that's where you are today, may you leave here with the grace of our Lord Jesus that walks with you in the midst of your challenge. And if you'll be in there this week, may you have this promise as you go forward that God is close to you and the still small voice of God in your waiting who will remind you that he is with you. He loves you and cares for you. May it be strong and may you hear it as a whisper, not because God is far away or not trying to be heard, but because he's right next to you. Would you go in peace? God's bless. God bless you.